Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Uh, my name is uh, Ouyang Bing. I'm a founder of YGT. I'm also associate director at the Asia Society. Uh, so welcome to our YGT talk number seven. Uh, let me give you a little bit intro introduction about YGT. YGT is an initiative launched by Asia Society with five other global partners. So we select young green entrepreneurs globally every year and empower them to tackle climate and environment challenges via innovative ways. So now we have hundreds of young entrepreneurs across 40 countries. So about tonight, why we are here? So first of all, as you may know, both US and China, they present a very strong and ambitious policy in climate change, SDG, and of course, ESG becomes so popular now. And a couple of weeks ago, YGT Global Partners New Energy Nexus published a report about climate fintech. So tonight, thanks to our uh, partner, New Energy Nexus. So uh, as Ben mentioned, we uh, here at New Energy Nexus just released what's called the Climate Fintech Report, exploring digital financial technology and decarbonization. And I just want to do a quick background on who we are. Uh, New Energy Nexus is a, is a network of accelerators and funds which nurture clean energy entrepreneurship all around the world. And then New Energy Nexus, just global coverage, um, started in, in California as the California Clean Energy Fund and, and then expanded uh, primarily in Asia. What we're seeing now is this enormous shift in capital towards ESG, environmental social governance solutions. For those following the, the GameStop hype over the last few weeks and in the investing world, one of the most popular investment funds is this one at the top, which is called ARC Innovation ETF. Now, of course, it's performed very well over the last year, 160%. But if you look below at the solar ETF, it's outperformed even more so. And I think that just sort of goes to show how much money is pouring into ESG solutions. And a lot of this is driven by policy. A lot of uh, geopolitical tailwinds, announcements around decarbonization, Biden, uh, the, EU, uh, the EU Green, uh, Green Deal, uh, and of course, China's commitment to decarbonize by 2060. How can climate fintech be a piece of this puzzle? Um, and we spent the last year interviewing fintech experts, uh, banks, institutions, um, all kinds of climate solutions and climate startups to draw a, an umbrella and paint a picture for where these solutions are. And so on the right side here, you see the, the eight core chapters of our report, payments, banking, lending, and so on, uh, and encourage you all to download it and take a look. So what is climate fintech? It's digital financial technology that catalyzes decarbonization. So one of the biggest takeaways from the report is that these innovations have an impact on citizens like ourselves, individuals, as well as large institutions, uh, financial incumbents, and the way that we all move money from point A to point B. This is really the focus on the intermediaries that help move money from, from one place to another there is a noticeable um, proliferation of these solutions in Europe, 
followed by the US and, and China third. What's interesting is that the solutions in China actually cover a much larger percentage of the population. Uh, an example is uh, ant forest, which is used by many hundreds of millions of people every day. Um, there is yet to be uh, a climate fintech solution used in the States on that scale. Um, there's a study done by Make Money Matter, an entity in the UK, that investing in sustainable funds can have 27 times uh, the impact than living a, a, a healthy or, or living a, a consumer conscious sustainable lifestyle. So Aaron from New, Ener New Energy Nexus, uh, he is one of the authors of this report. We will also have Cindy Hu from Prudential. Uh, Cindy is Portfolio Director of Impact and Responsible Investing. We also have Vincent Becker. Uh, Vincent is from Intoria Energy. He's a group uh, controller. And, and also Vincent is our YGT Young Entrepreneur. He's a finalist of uh, 2019. My first question is to Aaron. How did you guys wrote this report about uh, climate fintech? So much focus right now is on climate tech and the solutions that are involved with that uh, terminology, often uh, hard tech heavy. So looking at uh, solar panel tracking technologies or the latest in battery storage. And FinTech is often uh, either overlooked or categorized entirely different um, because of its uh, focus on moving money from point A to point B. FinTech intermediary solutions are now directly focused on carbon, carbon accounting, um, and, and how you can decarbonize by using, the, by using capital and directing it. Both the US and, the Ch US and the China, they, they show very positive and, and the ambitious policy on climate change carbon neutral and uh, SDG issues. How will this kind of a change reshape the current ecosystem of ESG investing and the business? Um, as an investor, um, Prudential Impact Investing um, is in making investments in different impact um, themes, including financial inclusion, education and workforce development, affordable housing and um, transformative developments. And um, from the policy perspective, from what we have um, um, seen in the impact investing world, um, government policies that are leaning towards a certain sector are important to draw private investments and development um, of an industry. So, um, Unrelated to the financial, uh, to, to the climate fintech sector, Prudential is also heavily invested in charter schools in the U.S. So the U.S. government issues treasury bonds on behalf of these charter schools, which provides subsidies for the interest payments of private investments. The treasury, the like treasury AAA rating subsidies serves as significant de-risking tools to incentivize private capital to invest and also for the charter school financing to outgrow the private investments and tap into the public bond market. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like an example of how um, the government policies at a high level um, is a big driver for uh, the development of a sector. Another example 
in the fintech sector um, is India's demonetization policy in 2016, which was um, originally aimed to tackle problems in India's cash circulation, but that also significantly accelerated the adoption of digital and mobile banking in India. I think the industry has been working quite a lot to come up with the um, tools to for the measurement and report of um, impact. So I think uh, Southeast Asia and Latin America, where we're both active, are, are, are quite different from the US uh, and China and, and, and Europe. In the US, uh, China and Europe, all in, in their own very different ways, uh, have taken very active policies, uh, laws, rules, tax initiatives, all to promote a much more sustainable, carbon neutral, recycling and, and, and all the other things. So there's a very large policy framework and a policy push. That is very much lacking in, in, in Southeast Asia. Um, in Southeast Asia and Latin America, being more developing nations, uh, it's all about money. Uh, in Europe, where, where I'm from, uh, there was this perception, and, and there still is, uh, a push from companies. We know our customers are willing to pay a bit more as long as we give people an equal wage, as long as we don't pollute the rivers, as long as we use sustainable farming products. That trend is not there uh, in Asia. It's all about money. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing as of today, uh, because in renewable energy, which is the, the, the kind of the sustainability sector we're most active in, uh, the fact that solar is so much cheaper uh, than, 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 than oil and gas, uh, and the fact that people are here quite entrepreneurial and that the business landscape is quite dynamic, uh, actually helps. Vietnam has installed nine gigawatts of solar panel uh, last year. That's an enormous amount. Uh, the U.S. I think has 260 gigawatt installed, so nine might not sound as a lot, but Vietnam is much smaller and it's a developing nation. This is one year only. Um, so that, that, that push for money, the fact that sustainable solutions are now finally being cheaper, uh, is actually helping those, uh, those countries to catch up to some extent. So is there any proof that ESG investment can guarantee the investors a better or decent return? We believe in profit for purpose, um, that financial and um, impact returns are complementary to each other rather than mutually exclusive. And um, we see that um, the impact um, investment sector funds uh, are typically um, like ret have returns at least as well as the rest of the, um, the private equity um, sectors uh, or venture capitals, but um, to um, to achieve that, we also believe um, more and more adopting an overall approach of managing for impact goes through the whole life cycle of our impact investments, um, including um, the intentionality that is uh, important uh, guidance for us to seek for opportunities um, in the sectors that we want to um, invest in. And then to um, moving on to impact due diligence, due diligence not only on uh, the financial um, viabilities um, of an investment opportunity, but also um, the um, impact orientation uh, of the projects or um, the sponsors. Um, when we are um, exiting from um, a, uh, an investments, we're also trying to make sure, um, or at least make efforts in mission safeguarding um, to make sure that um, the impact generating practices and um, uh, orientations are, um, 
are, are saved um, when the, the um, investments is, uh, is uh, moved on to the next owner. So um, I think these are kind of like the efforts that we're making um, to make sure that ESGs are also good financial investments. Uh, I think a lot of uh, uh, dirty investments are still highly profitable, uh, unfortunately. Uh, LNG prices are through the roof in Japan because of the cold winter. Uh, finding a massive oil field is still a big boon, even at $40 per barrel. I think the main thing is about, uh, and, and, and that's what you said before, right? Uh, the ESG as a risk, a risk mitigation framework, um, there's a lot of downward pressure. Uh, coal plants, people are not investing in, in coal plants anymore. Now, of course, all the banks say, oh, you know, we're so concerned about the environment. That's why we decided not to invest in coal plants anymore. And they put it on the, uh, on the, on the website with some nice uh, smiling children. The reality is they're just really bad investments nowadays because a coal plant needs an uptime of 70 or 80%. If it drops anything below it, the whole thing is, is, is not worth it anymore. So uh, three years ago or four years ago, a lot of people started when, when, when smart banks started, started to announce that they would stop investing in coal power plants. And again, with smiling children in the background, it was for the very same reason. They look at these coal power plants, they're not going to run more. We see all these panels being installed, they're going to run less. And I think this is an example that you can see throughout your entire portfolio. If you're very exposed to, to fossil fuels, um, is this method of fossil fuels still going to be a good investment in, in, in five or 10 years? Well, um, Indonesia is really taking a lot of measures against deforestation. So if I look at my ESG framework and one that uh, Senate and Porsche, for instance, adapts is looking at land use. Is this company a responsible land user? If you score bad in any of these ESG components, it might not immediately affect your profitability. But sometimes in the, in the next five or 10 years, there might be consumer changes, policy changes, tax changes, all sorts of changes that has a lot of downward risk. And uh, those with a proper ESG framework have the opposite. They have upside risk. A company that is extremely good in for its neighbors, that is extremely good with its land use, it might not be as profitable today, but there's a lot of upward pressure the moment the market starts or, or the policy starts really uh, putting a dollar value on, 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 on those principles. If we want, uh, we want to nurture a robust ESG environment, what are the takeaways from the European story? There's definitely a lot of learnings from Europe that could, could be applied to uh, other regions. Um, obviously, the, the Paris Climate Accords set the tone there, um, but there have been lots of, of sustainable finance work and foundations built long before that. Um, I think that, that one of the simplest takeaways is the EU taxonomy. This, the, the, the attempt to get on the same page and use taxonomies has been uh, uh, quite challenging here in the United States. The advanced um, status of U Europeans um, in comparison to US and, and, and China, I think that is also consistent with our observation in the broader impact investing sector. Um, many European countries, um, they have their own, um, what they call development financial institutions um, who are quasi um, uh, government agencies um, who have the mandate of investing um, the, the the, the, country, the country's public money actually to drive developments and generate impact. They are also active um, in making impact investments in emerging markets such as Africa, 
um, South Asia and Latin America and drive the developments of um, um, like we have seen them um, clearly driving the development of uh, fintech in these areas. Um, so, and also I, I, we have also um, observed that uh, in both public and private sectors, Europe's pension funds are active capital in, in ESG and impact investing. There is a report actually uh, shared by Aaron before. I think that's very interesting. It's by Bloomberg. That's a report by, uh, um, uh, in this January. It says globally, 69% uh, of people under eight, uh, 18 years old believe climate change is an emergency compared with 58% of those older than 60, uh, according to a survey of one, two, 0.2 million people across 50 countries by UNDP and Oxford. We have clearly seen like um, retirement funds, like country, companies, um, even like um, Prudential, um, we are more and more focusing on um, the, the ESG um, conscious kind of uh, uh, funds, um, which are um, drawing a lot, lot of attention and uh, interests from younger generations, uh, I would say. Um, uh, when it comes to their investment choice. Coming back to the generational fintech piece of it too, you know, when everything is, is right here on your phone, especially as a young child, you're exposed to a lot more information. Um, you know, the ability to do something is a couple of pushes on your phone versus, you know, going out into the world. And I think that's been acutely... Um, realized during this this pandemic, people are stuck inside, and the power of technology in moving funds, but also educating, I think, goes hand in hand. Now, all of these forces combined are going to allow for people to use these technologies for better. Right? Um, you think about neo banks; they have no branches, there's no physical locations, and so the ability to move money is just done. Uh, at home or on your phone. And if people are also getting an education around uh, the climate crisis, how they can uh, spend in a more sustainable fashion, how they can plug a tool onto their, their credit card activity and reduce their carbon footprint and spend less money, it's the alignment of these incentives that start to become powerful and, and that start to engage a, a wide swath of, of the world population. We found some ESG ETF. In their portfolio, there are even a lot of uh, liquor company. So we're quite confused, say, what is ESG, right? Mm. Um, so, and now we're talking something like a greenwashing. So how, how, what, what's your opinions, anyone? Yeah, it's, it's a, it reminds me of a, something that happened last year. I saw the same problem. I saw that there was Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines was being held in a something called the Redwood Fund. And I said, well, hang on a second. How can you have, you know, this type of company where the cruise ships have such a, a, a damaging impact on on the environment and yet you're categorizing it as a redwood fund and and i think that there continues to be that problem across a lot of esg funds uh, they're getting credit for uh, another aspect of their business maybe the s social maybe they're hiring um, people from diverse backgrounds or have 
uh, gender equality, and they're scoring really high on the S, but the, the E, the environment score is really low. But for some reason that passes the threshold that's acceptable to be included in this investment. Um, so I think we just need better taxonomy, transparency around some of these scores. Um, if, you, if you want to have that kind of information available, it should be available to you. You should be able to know that you are investing in Royal Caribbean, not because of its environmental record, but because of its gender equality record. And um, I think that the, the access to information and the, the uniformity is still a bit of a mess and needs to be um, cleaned up over the next couple of years so more people are educated in their decision-making. Intentionality is the whole thing here. Um, so you, you do need to start with uh, what you want to achieve. And then also um, in, in terms of like identifying and stop green, greenwashing, um, I want to uh, like, I, I totally agree with uh, what Aaron was talking about. I think industry standards and regulatory requirements is very important here. Um, here in Southeast Asia, uh, where the environment is less of an issue and governance even so, impact investors are often really looking for social impact. Um, uh, getting communities out of poverty, uh, schooling, uh, healthcare, uh, helping a disadvantaged community, indigenous tribes. Um, so that is really the focus of, of, of ESG. Um, so maybe they, uh, to, to kind of turn your, your point around a bit, Aaron, uh, uh, they might be surprised uh, to invest in a solar panel company while the company does absolutely nothing for local neighborhoods. Um, so it's a bit of a nuance on, on, on ESG. Uh, and, and, and you're very right. We need to be clear what's in there because ESG has three letters, environment being one of them. It brings me back to a discussion that there was in, in, in the markets uh, about 10 years ago when, uh, when Shell uh, was removed from the MSCI sustainability or the FTSE sustainable investments. Um, because a lot of environmentalists say, how can you have an oil company in a sustainable index? It, it's ridiculous. Uh, but the argument at that point was, which, which I can kind of also understand was, well, yes, it's an oil company, but this is in the top 20, 10% of all the oil companies. Um, and then you can say it's not such a bad thing anymore, because if companies are getting setting a sort of golden standard within an industry, maybe the other companies are trying to catch up. Um, so it's almost a philosophical question. Um, do you want to, out of principle, not invest in coal? Well, maybe I don't. Or do I want all the coal companies to have a certain standard? Um, I don't know which one is right. I think for coal, we don't need coal anymore. We should stop it. Um, but last time I checked, uh, whenever my food is shipped in from uh, from Australia, I don't think those boats can go on battery. So whilst we need oil and gas, maybe we should just have a certain ESG standard as a minimum standard and promote that. And that might be the same with greenwashing. If everybody's greenwashing, okay, that's in principle not such a good thing, but it does raise the bar for everybody. Everybody has to at least set a bit of a statement. And as the market will scrutinize those claims, uh, the real greenwashing will fall off. And the bar will get set higher, higher, and higher, and higher. U.S., you know, Joe Biden, I mean, the new government is, they're coming up with a big turn, a big change of the previous government. So I would ask, uh, following this question, say, how, how do you think about the current U.S.? Well, we expecting very big change 
of the ESG in US, will we have a big booming soon under the new government? Let's look back the history uh, around 2005. We also saw the boom and the failure of clean tech. What's different now? Is it same or is totally different? Should we be cautious now? So my work is、uh, is less、uh, related to the the E side, but more to the S side. But from what I've、uh, seen from the, the the social investment side, as as I mentioned earlier, at least from the measurement perspective, I think、uh, it is a lot more clear now. I think the the、uh, the policy from from SDG or the other kind of like more on from the output perspective, a lot easier for practitioner. Clearly, from the volumes perspective. For the total impact investments,、um, it's a pretty steep slope. So、um, I would say it's definitely moving in the right direction, comparing to ten years ago or fifteen years ago. Just to quickly add on the climate bit,、uh, I think the the difference this time around is simple economics. I think the the International Energy Agency clearly came out and stated that the cost. Produce electricity per megawatt hour is half the cost of coal、um, than it is the solar. So, even if you are not a huge advocate for renewable energy, if you care about simple economics, it's a pretty simple decision. Thank you, thank you all for joining us, and、uh, we had—I think we had a very amazing discussion. Have a couple final words. So. Uh, we will kick off our COFO application YGT 2021、uh, around March, April. So, if you are interested, you, if you are young entrepreneur、uh, in this category, I mean ESG sustainability, like Vincent, follow us on、uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and we also have a website, younggreentech.net.、Uh, it's a Chinese and English bilingual website. And if you are an investor, researcher, if you are interested about this topic, also please stay in touch, and we will see you soon. Thank you so much, and have a good day.